Well, welcome to the Candeo Equipping Podcast, where today Cody and I talk about wingless Christianity, right wing, left wing, or no wings, and how we as Christians can oftentimes feel like political orphans, especially in this contentious political climate with the upcoming elections. And we talk about how should we think through political issues from a Christian worldview, and how should we interact with fellow believers when we disagree about some really important things. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So who are you voting for? I don't have an election. <laughs> Not on my phone, That's the I one question you didn't want me to ask. <laughs> now, if you're putting me in the, the, the pilot seat here, I'll just say it's straight I'm not. up. Then. Yeah. I'm not. No. Yeah. no. no. If, you, if you came onto this podcast to hear who I'm voting for, you will be sorely disappointed. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Are you going to tell everybody? Who I'm voting for? Yeah. I can't. Because I don't know. Good for you. It's been like the most befuddling thing. Mm. I was talking with Seth on Monday, mm. and he essentially asked me that question. I went, it, and honestly, I think I think I feel the way that that I should have always felt mm. when it comes to politics, and that's like, like a political orphan. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it it almost seems like. This this election cycle is has like exposed that, mm-hmm. and I actually think that that's probably a good thing for Christians. If anything, like mm-hmm. to to highlight both, you know, it's like if you feel like a political orphan mm-hmm. and you're like, "What do I do?" I think that's probably a good spot to be in. Mm-hmm. If the choice seems just so cut and dry, I'd probably go. I'm curious if you're thinking through politics from a biblical perspective or, or thinking through it Christianly. Because it seems like when you stand back and look at the whole landscape, right. there's aspects of everything that should make you uncomfortable as a Christian. Now, that doesn't, I don't think that should lead us like to inaction or, you know, even reading, reading the, uh, the latest like Piper article, you know, as he kind of, kind of talk through, you know, the importance of character considerations mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I really appreciated that. What it left me wanting, I guess, was mm-hmm. like, it seemed as though the natu- like the, well, it seemed as though the therefore was, well, therefore you can't really vote for either. Right. Because how do you, how do you weigh all these things out, you know? And so now I don't have a, a, a real airtight therefore either you know but that's been the thing that's been kind of kind of racking my brain a little bit how how have you been thinking through stuff uh i'll go you mentioned the the piper article because i'm i'm so grateful for godly leaders you know who speak into these issues and and I've, i've heard voices on both sides which always gives me some level of comfort that whenever there's like godly men and women on both sides of the issue, you typically go, okay, so this isn't a hill worth dying on, mm-hmm. right? Like that helps me identify it. So I, I go into, I'm like, they're already kind of evidencing that this is complex. Mm-hmm. But I think what, what Piper did, and I find myself like wanting to add a voice to this a little bit, um, I'm assuming some motives, and this is, you know, assuming stuff is pretty dangerous, right? Right, yeah. But when I read Piper's article, it seemed like he was really bent on one thing in particular, and that was trying to at least help 
uber conservative Christians like mm-hmm. get out of the ditch of total alignment with Trump right. to at least acknowledge, mm-hmm. you know, okay, let's not talk about policies for a second. Let's just actually talk about the, the person because I do think it hurts the Christian witness when we try to swallow a candidate hook, line, and sinker, particularly mm-hmm. one like Trump, and go, oh, the policies and the man. And so I found myself wanting to bang my head against a wall for years as I found Christians not only just defending Trump's policies, but his actions mm. and trying to claim that like, oh, he's a Christian. It's like, no, I, I try not to cast judgment on people. Like that's something that I think gets us into ditches real quick. But I think a very quick assessment, just looking at scriptures of the things that God values in a person's character, just not evidenced in Mm. And Trump. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, just to state it very bluntly, then moving beyond that, because I think that was really what Piper was trying to do is to just awaken that conservative Christian crowd a bit to go, hey, guys, just at least acknowledge, right? at least acknowledge we got significant character mm-hmm. flaws here. Well, it um, seems like the response is often yeah. like, well, yeah, but the media is trying to do this. And like it, but it, it does seem like an, end of, an endless defense yeah. of any potential character flaw when it's like, can you just be honest for a second? Yeah. <laughs> I stop making excuses for it. I'll right? just go to the horse's mouth as the quote goes, you know, and yeah. just look at the Twitter feed and go, man, it's just totally to me, there's not a lot of examples there of godliness or even I, I would say of like just wise, uh, self-controlled leadership. Mm. But but I'd say, too, and this is where I think uh, like Al Mohler speaks in well. Wayne Grudem highlighted this well in his response to Piper, where he says, but you got character flaws in both. And that's that's true. Right. I've probably done more homework <clears throat> on Trump in that regard, but I I wouldn't say that I'd give a pass then to, to Biden as well. And so mm. you have two very flawed people in front of you, which is likely what's often going to happen when you're talking about broken uh, depraved human beings. Uh, maybe from time to time there would be a candidate that would arise that, that would align with Christian convictions and policies and character. But mm. but I think that's, again, we, we find ourselves, especially right now, like in this spiritual orphan state. And man, if, if I could just go into the policies, um, these are complex things that I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly if one side gets it right over the other when it comes to, like, how mm. to be a Christian about this. Like, when it comes to immigration, mm. like, clearly there, there's, there's wisdom and, the, and there's a beauty to, like, you know, s- establishing clear borders and boundaries and, and uh, rules for how somebody becomes a citizen of a country for the protection of the, the, the people that you have within your country. But at the same time, we're called as Christ followers, and especially those who have means to be generous <laughs> to those who mm-hmm. are in need and are, and are fleeing. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a complex thing, even when you're running your own household. You know, how many times have you driven down the street, seen a homeless person, um, decided to, to give them some, some goodies or, or drop off something, uh, and then the conversation comes up like, hey, should we invite them back to our house? And, you know, you got that moment as a dad of, like, how do I balance both, like, protection of my own family and Mm -hmm. safety of my kids with a total stranger, you know, and and navigating that complexity. And I think you're talking about that at a a country level and two political parties that are trying to kind of lay their policy before you. And 
Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I think something that's been helpful for me is uh, as I've kind of kind of dived into some resources has been uh, acknowledging the 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 place that conscience plays into mm. politics. Because you know, you've been talking about conscience a lot, so yeah. please unpack this here. For yeah, me. so An- Andy Nacelli wrote a book called Conscience, and mm-hmm. one of the and it was the, it was really helpful because he gave a definition of what the conscience is, and he said that, that it's one's awareness of what they believe to be right and wrong, mm-hmm. which the the words in that definition are really important. One's awareness of what you believe to be right and wrong. Conscience isn't your awareness of what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's your awareness of what you believe at that particular moment to be right and wrong. This is why, you know, biblically we see that that the conscience can be seared, that the conscience, you know, that the Holy Spirit can be can be squelched, like like there that our conscience is malleable, at, depending on you know how how we let it be shaped either by the culture or by the Word of God. That our sense of right and wrong isn't always pointing toward a true north. Mm-hmm. And we constantly need to be, continue to be aligned with the word of God as Christians to align our conscience to really define what is right and wrong. Because my conscience will ebb and flow, but it has to be anchored to the word of God. You know, So the mm-hmm. level that conscience plays in in politics, you know, so you, so you use the example of, of immigration. And it's even, this is something I've been kind of musing on lately, has been, I think there's a difference, and th- I'm, I'm just playing this out here. So, like, mm-hmm. like six months from now, I could listen to this and may and disagree with myself or agree, you know, to a greater level. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, we'll find out, I guess. But right. it's it's that kind of like, is there a different is, is there a difference between how I ought to think about immigration and immigrants, mm-hmm. the policy of immigration, and immigrants themselves as people. Right. Yep. And, and what would biblically inform that? Right. You know, like we know, and I think this was a Tim Keller thing. He, Tim Keller has a tendency of saying the same thing all the time, like right. over and over in different contexts. But it so, translates into 15 different categories, yeah, which is great. You know, so he, so I was in the principle and it I was watching an interview with Kerry Newhoff that he had it. And he, and I just really appreciated mm-hmm. these categories as he talked about like, uh, political divisiveness, you know, where he's, and he was saying like, as I read the Bible, what I see is that Christians, uh, are committed to racial justice of seeing mm-hmm. all races, all people as created in the image of God, equal before God, regardless of race, culture, socioeconomics, like, like, but particularly racial justice, uh, a commitment to the poor and the marginalized, Absolutely. the vulnerable of society. Uh, Christians are committed to life Mm-hmm. To being pro-life like in every way, defending the rights of the preborn, defending the rights of the preborn and, and the postborn. That that gets yeah, to the absolutely. vulnerable category, you know. But absolutely. but pro-life, and also that that Christians historically have been pro-monogamous heterosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. Now it seems as though two of those things tend to fall into one political party, and two of those things tend to be emphasized in the other. Mm-hmm. And so as a Christian, what it seems like is that if, if you want to talk about race and justice, that depending on where you're at, you can get pigeonholed. And mm-hmm. I mean, you've experienced this. Like mm-hmm. we've, we've had people leave our church because the word social justice has been said from the stage mm-hmm. and it automatically got assumed that it's like 
Cody's this socialist, communist, mm -hmm. every ist you want right. to be, right? right. <laughs> I mean, we joke about it now, <laughs> but it, it like right. it reached like crazy levels where it was yeah. like, oh, all of a sudden somebody is talking about caring for the poor and the marginalized right. of society and using biblical terms like justice mm -hmm. and talking about that. And all of a sudden, like mm. Cody's this off the rails progressive liberal mm -hmm. Christian like what in the world so it's like so either that or like or you're on the other side where it's like you because of that you minimize that and you so you know emphasize pro-life and heterosexual marriage mm -hmm. and, and, and a Christian sexual ethic I would say mm -hmm. of of sexes between one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life right. like like let, let's emphasize those two and downplay or even stop believing in the other two, or let's applaud when we talk about racial justice and we talk about social justice as it relates to caring for the poor and the marginalized, mm -hmm. and totally do away with with a Christian view of life and a Christian view of sex, mm -hmm. right? And so that's where it goes. Like it seems as though we're in this conundrum where to be a Christian you can only be two of those, but there is no political party, there is no political system. That is all four, right? Clearly, all four, right? Right, and so it does put us in this position of like orphanhood, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so then when when I go back to the to the topic of let's say immigration and immigrants, mm -hmm. I go immigration. So, so someone's entrance into a society, is there anything that parallels anything like this in the Bible? And I go, absolutely, entrance into the covenant community, mm -hmm. entrance into union with Christ. There is one way. It's through Jesus Christ, by faith through, through faith, by faith through grace, we are united with Christ. There is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. Like there is a category that you enter in to a community through one door, and so I go, and this is the thinking, you know, out loud. I'm like, I'm like, so how does that? translate to how I think through immigration. Now, it's not direct one-to-one, -one, mm -hmm. right? But I go, are there principles here? But then I also go, because of a radical commitment to racial justice, as I interact with immigrants, my main question isn't, are they here legally or illegally? Mm -hmm. It's, who, it's who are they and what do they need mm -hmm. and how can I love them and make a seat at my table for them? You know, how can I engage with them as a human who bears the image of God? Like that's my primary concern. So it is this kind of like, right. but it seems as though, and I think that's some of the thing that can be frustrating uh, to go back to some of Trump's language is that it seems that those two things have gotten so combined that to talk about immigration uh, has also meant talking about immigrants in a certain way mm -hmm. that for me makes me uncomfortable. Right. I go, I think from a policy perspective, I don't quite know that I'm not into politics enough mm -hmm. to be able to articulate what his or the Republican Party or the Democrat Party's immigration policy is. But but I do know that when it seems as though immigrants have been characterized, at least from him, that's made me uncomfortable. Right. And I go, I think we got to think of these differently, you know, and speak of them more honorable in a more honorable kind of way, you know. Right. So... Right. I mean, there's, wow, there's just so many things within this election that I think it's, it's just, it's just bubbled to the surface that, that there's things that you kind of fear. It's like, man, this path, I fear the direction that that heads. And this, this path, I fear the direction that we're headed when we go that, that path. Uh, I've had to really stop often in the midst of it 
and really check myself, like, do I believe in the sovereign goodness of God? And do I believe mm. that regardless of what path our country heads down, like, God can still be glorified? And when I say path that we could head down, I'm, I'm like, using metaphorically, like, it's, it's either the Democratic path or the Republican path. Because mm. um, it's, it's, it's been good to pull back. I mean, even as we're, we're preparing for this just day of prayer, this time of prayer together, it's been praying with the mindset of either candidate winning. Okay, God, would you use this to extend your name and your glory to the nations? Psalm mm-hmm. 67. Let's just, you know, or regardless of who gets elected, even praying for them, like James 1, 5, you know, that God would provide wisdom. So it's just, but these these things that, that continue to just provide rest, Psalm 62, right, that we find rest in God alone, who's our refuge and our salvation. And so, because I, I, I just, I come to the edge of these complex things and immediately I'm humbled. I go, man, there's a lot in here I don't quite understand. And mm-hmm. it's, 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 these are big things. I mean, caring for the poor and hurting of the whole world, you know, trying to be mindful of the resources God has given us as a country and to be wise stewards of that. I mean, that's, I feel that level of stewardship for myself personally, but as a mm-hmm. country. It also does make me grateful, though, for those who serve in these ways that are trying to navigate these waters. Because it's one thing to try to figure it out, how it affects your household, how it affects our church. It's another thing to you know, lead a country of 300 million people. So it's why every time I'm referring to our presidents, whether it's Trump or Obama or whatever, mm. I always want to lead with President Trump, President Obama, because there's just a respectfulness I, I want to have, a posture that I want to have that's just actually grateful for our leaders and those who serve in those ways. Mm-hmm. But but I feel humbled. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for those who serve. But I also try not to put my hope in these human systems to solve all these problems because, man, you can so get this backwards. I mean, we've talked about this. What happens if we as a church embrace a vision of planting churches, but we don't shepherd the hearts of our people along with it? Mm-hmm. What you do is you end up ripping your, your church apart. Well, what happens if you get the policies right and you start moving the world one direction of like, this is how it's going to be, but you don't bring the people along with it, you rip a country apart. And so how to pursue these things in a way that continues to bring us together uh, to places of mutual understanding as much as possible, uh, that's what I long for. And that's that's the thing right now. That That's why... Even before we sat down, I had one note on my piece of paper in front of me. It's like, <laughs> if you want to know which candidate I'm voting for, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That was line one. Line two is... I was going to say, is that I, the only note? <laughs> what I want to talk... This is. This is the only note I have on my, my paper here. Um, so if you want to know what candidate I'm voting for, you're going to be sorely disappointed. What I care more about is actually right now talking about how can we, particularly as Christians, disagree in love. Mm-hmm with each other. Because it's one thing to look out at at our nation and go, this is as divided as I've ever seen our country in my lifetime, right? Uh, Not super old, so that's not saying a ton, but it's as divided as I've ever seen our country. It's one thing to make that observation about the, the world around us. I think what's more sad and more frustrating is when I go, and I think this is the most divided I've ever seen the church in my lifetime. Now that, as pastors, leaders, Christians, we we do 
have some say in the destiny there. And I, I want to fight hard as elders, particularly of Candeo Church. How are we fighting for unity here and being able to engage a, sub, a, a subject like politics, like this election, in a way that allows for respectful discourse, mm. that even allows two brothers to sit at the tame, same table or two sisters or a connection group to sit at a table and discuss openly to sharpen one another, but disagree. Mm. Uh, because we have some really, really godly men and women in our church who are on very different sides of this conversation. But I love them so much because I'm able to sit down with them often and go, help me. Here's a question I've got. And I'll sit down with my Republican friend and just be sharpened and shaped by that conversation mm. in such a way that is glorifying to Jesus. And the same thing with my Democrat friends. And I love the diversity of voices that I think sharpens and I want them to keep having that with each other. And I want our church to continue to grow and the ability to, to do that well. Not just mm -hmm. our church, but all Christians. Yeah. What do you think inhibits that? I think there's, so a little bit back to what I said before. I think because a lot of matters related to politics are matters of conscience, uh, our, our awareness of what we believe to be right and wrong is different at times, and especially as it plays out in policy. You know, I was listening to a podcast recently that uh, the guy said the the greatest political statement you can say as a Christian is Jesus is King. Mm -hmm. Like that has to be the baseline for Christians. Mm -hmm. Is that our primary, if we're going to say political allegiance, isn't to a party or a person, it's to King Jesus, that Jesus is King, and that as King, like, he has given us his word, and his word is our final authority as Christians. It's the inspired and errant authoritative word of God. That's what Christians believe about the Bible. And so for us, and, but to also understand that the Bible isn't, isn't a book of case law, like the Bible doesn't tell us what uh, what exactly taxation should look like within a society, right? The Bible doesn't tell us what building codes should look like within our neighborhood. Like it it's not it's not a book of case law. It it acts more like a constitution, where it's like it gives you large large level views that should inform the nuances of daily life, right? Like, clearly there are some very some specific things as it relates to daily living, but as it relates to politics, I go, as I interact with another believer, what I always wanna do is go, like, Jesus is king, the Bible is our authority, as a, like, in how can we bring to bear either what we directly see in scripture or the indirect implications in scripture, how does that, how does, how does that come to bear in the things that we're maybe disagreeing on? And then that's kind of where the, that category, I, I love the Jonathan Lehman and that, that, uh, how do I love church members with different politics yeah. book where he talks about straight line and jagged line issues, mm -hmm. where it's like straight line issues, like very clear from, from here to here, we see this in the scripture and there's a straight line to how that should exactly play out, you know, overarchingly in life. Mm -hmm. Like that should be pretty simple. There's a lot of jagged line issues uh, 
that become matters of conscience, mm-hmm. that we can, we can look at things in the Bible, but we have to draw a jagged line to get it to this particular political issue. And so for me, I have to go, I need to have the humility to, to recognize this is a jagged line issue. It's probably a matter of conscience. And that means that I probably can't be dogmatic on this necessarily. Uh, and we can also disagree on it mm-hmm. and still love one another but also have be in different places as it relates to our conscience, right? You know, but I do think that baseline, I think that's the hard part sometimes is that we, we begin to put our hope in a political candidate as the one who will uh, inaugurate either directly or indirectly the kingdom of God. When it's like only Jesus Christ will do that when he returns. And so when I begin to put my hope in something other than Jesus Christ, pretty soon I begin to latch onto that hope as though I am a I am a follower of that person and not a follower of Jesus, right? So I think that's part of what can inhibit some of that charitable conversation. And that doesn't mean we can't still feel passionately about those matters of conscience, but it does change my posture, right? I can still have the passion, but I need to have the passion in a particular posture as I sit across from a brother or sister in Christ and talk about these things, right? Right. So I don't I mean— Well, I think think what that does, Jake, like— you know, I had a great conversation over the summer with a friend that when we got to the crux of the conversation, it was like the most important takeaway was just to continue to understand uh, both the importance of who is president, but yet that that doesn't determine everything. You know, like mm. understanding that like our government is one pillar of kind of American society and life, but it's not everything. Mm. And so that doesn't make me apathetic toward the election, but I think it continues to keep my hope like where it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And so I love that phrase, pausing and just going, Jesus is king. And letting that peace kind of overwhelm me. That, that's why Psalm 62 mm-hmm. has been such a beautiful text just to spend time in, just, just praying over. Where it's like, God is our stronghold. He's a, he's a refuge. Uh, we'll not be shaken, you know, to pour out our hearts to him at all times, you know, like because God is so steadfast and trustworthy. Mm. And I think that helps in moments of anxiety, which could be <laughs> politics related or COVID related or anything else that's going on in the world right now that shakes up life. Mm. Uh, that is our security, our confidence and our hope. And I, I, I don't want Christians to lose that in that, this, this time. Um, yeah. Isn't, so. it, isn't it interesting? This, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like punchy. It's it's easy for me to want to be that, you know, but <laughs> should I apologize for what you're about to say? No. <laughs> You've had to do that at times. <laughs> what he means you, is yeah, you, excuse my friend over here. Yeah, you, you've done it for me a few times, so we're good buddies on this side. Uh, it is it is interesting to me and, and just this is just like uh peeking into people's lives via social media, you know, yeah. I don't post on social media much. I, I'll yeah. scroll through it randomly. Kind of like we were talking before though, like yeah. the algorithm pretty much knows what I'm there for. And it's mostly music <laughs> stuff. Like, <laughs> so, so I don't see a lot yeah. probably, but it is kind of funny to me. Not funny. I, I think it's sad actually. Uh, how some people will get so passionate about their political views and so dispassionate about discipleship within their own home. It, it takes me back to that to that Barbara Bush quote that what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the White House. Mm-hmm. When it's like, man, it's just really interesting. It's like, are we getting more passionate about who will 
occupy the White House for the next four years, then what is happening in your house over the course of your lifetime? You know, especially if you have children who are still in the house, I go like, like, however old they are, you have a number of years to influence the next generation. Like, stop Mm -hmm. thinking that the most influential part of your children's life will be the president for the next four or eight years. Like, it's actually the parent who has been walking with them from age zero to 18. Right. right? And and even beyond, you know. And so I go like, wow, it, it can be interesting to see the levels of passion for one that is for the one thing that is less consequential mm-hmm. than the levels of passion for the other that is actually more consequential. I yeah. go like, stop being more passionate for who's the president than for how you parent. Well, this would be <laughs> one of those things that, that you could say, right? Uh, you are discipling your child right now. There you go. Yeah. It's just what are you discipling mm-hmm. them toward? How are you discipling mm-hmm. them? Um, Stace and I voted absentee. So you said you haven't voted yet. Mm -hmm. We already have sent in our our ballots. So the fun thing about actually voting absentee was we pulled our kids into it because, I mean, how else would your even kid? I mean, we've we've gone in and voted in person. I've never brought Jacoby along just so he could see what it. But for him to, to sit with the ballot in front of him and to just look at the names, people that he's heard about on TV and seen all the attack ads and whatever, and mm. and then to just to just to pause to to pray over the decision that we're about to put pen on paper and all that, uh, to pray for their wisdom and guidance, to to even pray for other candidates that have mm. you know who we voted for doesn't win, and and then just for for the peace of God to like you know be over our country and and that. Uh, that, that's that's one way to go about it, and I, I think that was a real helpful thing for our kids because they're surrounded by this stuff at school. They're they're hearing it in, in different things, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm surprised when I have conversation with my kids how much like they regurgitate from things they hear from their friends or peers or whatever. But yeah. but yeah, I get sad when I'll see things posted on social media and go, gosh, I hope that's not the temperament of that household and the conversations around their dinner mm-hmm. table because if it is. Feel like the past six to eight months have been a wasted time mm. that could have been used in other ways to disciple and shape your kids mm-hmm. or grandkids or, or whatever else and so trying to, to enter into it like that how this is this is taking a not a full right turn it'll be you know kind of like mm-hmm. more of a curve than a 90 degree. How, how do you think through single issue voting? I am, <laughs> I, so I just want to like state this. I, mm-hmm. I don't know where this like was going to fit anywhere in the conversation because I feel like this is often missing. Like this is the question most cr- Christians want to ask mm-hmm. and they want to see somebody write about um, because, you know, you can read these books about differing political opinions and you want to just see somebody be like, can you just mention abortion, though? Like, how do we mm-hmm. have it? And, and I would say, like, guys, abortion is a tremendous evil. I mean, of all the things in our lifetime that I am ashamed of, mm-hmm. um, the loss of life uh, is is unfathomable. Um, and and so I am about as, like, close to a single-issue voter as you get, like mm-hmm. that— that really tugs on my heart strong. And that's one of the questions I will 
ask as I'm engaging friends is like, help me think through this issue in ways that would, might just be blind spots. Um, mm. And so that that's a that's a big deal uh, for me. I think it, it needs to be a big deal for our church. Um, I I can understand when somebody comes back at a conscience level and it's not the only issue or the driving issue that causes them to go one way or the other. Um, my wife and I are also huge advocates for making sure that we communicate that we're not just wanting to defend the rights of the preborn, but we are pro-life mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. too, which is why we got into foster care and adoptive efforts as well, because you cannot mm. plead, you know, that that child be born yeah. and then not care for it when that child's in the world. Totally. And so just kind of like navigating those those things. But I, I think one of the things I, I generally struggle with, man, we are, these things are just, this is as close we're, to just an reach, open air conversation. Yeah, we're reaching like, the edge of our own intellect, by the way. I too, know. So. And, I, and like for the people that are listening, <laughs> Which is great. I hope this yeah. is like refreshing that like <laughs> we're just talking here out yeah. loud as, as two friends with how many other friends listening in. Mm-hmm. I know the importance of laws. I also know that laws don't change a human heart. Mm. And that I can get a law in place that would prohibit abortions, but that doesn't mean that they stop either. And it's that whole legislating morality thing, you know, mm-hmm. that it, it, it makes me as a pastor focus not so much on getting the law right, but like, how do we share the gospel and preach the Imago Dei to like every person we can, that they would grab on to that, that people are made in the image of God and that it would change the way they view people of other races, that cha- change the way that they mm-hmm. view immigrants. Uh, and would change the way that they view the vulnerable, would change the way that they view the most vulnerable, the pre-born, you know, and, mm. and that work, you know, change the law, whatever. I go, we still got a job to do, you know? Yeah. So I, and my heart just, it, it runs those circles constantly, um, not just in election season, but like constantly. And mm. so I, I know you brought that up. I, I just decided to dive in the deep end. <laughs> no, I love it. I want to yeah. flip it back around. Man. Well, How do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, because it's 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 like, at least in the circles I've I've been in, it's the question that it seems that everyone's thinking, but no one wants to ask. Right. You know, because uh, I because I can totally understand the accusation as well that can be lobbed, and you kind of referenced it where it's like, well, like like you're for you're for life, but it's. It's only until they're born. Like you're, you're not actually pro-life. You're pro. I don't know what I don't know what they call it. You're pro-birth right. or something like that. You know, where it's right. like, because then once they're born, then then look at all this that needs to be done. I go, right. point taken. Right. One. Okay. Two. I, I would encourage people to to look at the organizations that actually that actually do give the most time, energy, and resources to mm-hmm. helping the the poor and the marginalized. And I say that generally when that's outsourced to the government, it doesn't go as well as when, as when, uh, as when the private sector, you could say, or like, right. or people have done that. And the mm-hmm. church has been a huge part of that. Like most hospitals were built by Christian mm-hmm. organizations. So mm-hmm. there's vulnerable people there. You know, as I think through like single issue voting, I go, uh, I think sometimes it can be, be cast as like an accusation or as, as, as a negative thing. Um, and I can understand that to one degree, but I also go, I, and this kind of comes from a, not the most recent Piper article. He wrote something in 1995 that was really helpful in thinking through this. Whereas like, I was like, yeah, but I was also a single issue fiance. If there are, there are issues that don't, 
qualify somebody just just by the basis of that one issue, but there are things that disqualify somebody mm-hmm. on the basis of one issue. Mm-hmm. Like if everything was great about Sarah when we were dating, except she just went around kissing everybody and not only refused to stop doing it, but also advocated for why that was right. Right. That would be a single issue deal breaker mm-hmm. for me. Like that mm-hmm. would have disqualified her right. from being my wife. Like now someone who doesn't go around kissing everybody doesn't automatically qualify to be my wife, yep. but it is an important thing mm-hmm. that for the, for the sake of our relationship, you know, mm-hmm. so I go like single issue voting doesn't just because some, someone might agree with me on abortion doesn't automatically, automatically qualify them right. to be a good choice as a presidential candidate or any politician. But in my mind, it does disqualify. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be kind of the, the conundrum as well, because right. then you go, well, what about the politician that does at least say they agree with me? And I can only take what they say, right. you know. But then there's other things right. about character, about personality, stuff like mm-hmm. that, that it's like, poof, that's hard to swallow, you know. But that, that's kind of how I've tried to think through that. Right. Where it's like, doesn't qualify, certainly does disqualify. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can at least, like, get me a step forward to mm. to knowing what my options at least are right. at that point. You know what I mean? But but I, I love what you're saying, too, where it's like, hey, actually, what, what happens in our house is more important than what happens in the White House. And what I would say is, like, that applies to us, like, as families, as individuals. But I would also say that applies to us as a church as well. What happens within the household of faith is more important than what happens in the household of the White House. Now, that's right. not to say that faith doesn't interact with the public square. I'm not advocating that at all, but I do say, regardless of what the laws and the policies are, like Christians are radically passionate about racial justice, caring for the poor and the vulnerable at every stage about life and about a Christian sexual ethic, right. regardless of the political climate. Now, there will be times where that will make us more weird or that will elicit more uh, vitriol mm-hmm. and accusations or whatever. Like, but the reality is, is that this, this is what we are held to in the scriptures. And yeah. so regardless of who's in the white house, we will continue to care for yeah. those for preborn and all of life. Yeah. Right. So well, Jake, I, I can't remember now how many times you and I have had this conversation behind closed doors and now also in person and in front of people and mm-hmm. in public. But we are, we're entering into a time of extreme polarization. And, and it's mm-hmm. it's like every issue we can find things to argue about. And it's polarizing within the church. And the solution is always kind of the same simple thing. Uh, find people that disagree with you, but are brothers and sisters, and talk mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. We had the same conversation this summer about race and justice issues. Yeah, My background... Uh, the experiences I've had in life make me somewhat blind to the experiences of other people's backgrounds and experiences they've had in life. And so some level of diversity, being able to engage those conversations is helpful. That's why we had the conversation series over the summer, Mm -hmm. just in light of what was happening in our nation and continues to unfold in our nation. Those conversations are helpful. We often use this language when it comes to uh, elders, right? That you want a diversity of, of, 
men and leaders in that room who have ways of viewing things a little bit differently. And the question is disruptive versus destructive, mm, right? Yep. That it's good to have people in your life that are disruptive. Mm-hmm. We just experienced this on Wednesday when we were having an elder conversation. All of a sudden, an elder in the room uh, brought up from a point of view a question that the other eight in the room were ready to kind of kind of move that item of discussion, you know, into the done pile and, all right, we got that figured out. And the question was fantastic, though. It was mm-hmm. disruptive. It caused us to pause. And there's a lot of what's like, of course you would say that, you know, like, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> but you love it. Like you, that's yeah. why you invited that voice totally. into the room. And and so I think within the, the church of God, like we have such an opportunity to look at brothers and sisters and to invite conversations that are going to be disruptive for us. Mm-hmm. And I think if ever we're in an echo chamber where everything that we hear is only like reaffirming of our own narratives, which is why Facebook and social media is so oh, totally. dangerous, yep. so dangerous. They are purposely doing that. They, mm-hmm. And we know that. That's an open secret. Yeah. Social dilemma. Right. Stuff. So yep. so it's it's not only the like like the disruptive, like but but then being mindful of the destructive voices, that mm-hmm. there are those that that can be destructive in that environment. And I think in some ways. There are some Christians, and I, I, I think any one of us is susceptible to this, so we need to be watchful. Of how is our voice speaking into the family of God? Mm. Um, is it possible we've even become kind of one of the destructive voices? You know, that's made a matter of conscience, a convictional thing mm-hmm. that would actually cause you to separate from your church family something that Jesus would shake his head over and go, that? Mm-hmm. You know, but we become so passionate about our American ideals or whatever that we would rip apart. And so I think understanding the value of disruptive conversations and the danger of destructive mm-hmm. conversations. And I think one just little read that was really helpful. I mean, you mentioned that book that um, yeah. Lehman put out about loving church members with different uh politics or political beliefs or whatever. He made a statement in there at the very end of the book that was so helpful for me. I can almost regurgitate it like word for word. But he said, as our country increasingly becomes more and more anti-Christian, which I think is a trend that we all see that we're on, a trajectory that we're on, um, and we can talk about that, but but the statement's true. that as our, our world becomes, and our, our America becomes increasingly anti-Christian, we'll find that a lot of issues don't actually become more simple, more black and white. They actually become more complex, mm-hmm. uh, which I think sometimes we assume the more alienated we get, the clearer black and white is, true Christians versus those who are, you know, whatever labels mm-hmm. we want to throw out there. But he just threw out a couple examples, you know, robots designed for sex, you know, was one of them. Um, yeah, transgender bathrooms and things like that. He said, we as Christians have to grow in our ability to be charitable toward mm. one another because godly men and women are going to fall in slightly different spots there. They're going to see the slippery slope and draw a line at a slightly different spot than, mm. than others. And we have to be able to go into that knowing at some point there's right and wrong, but at other points... I don't want to understand that line mm-hmm. uh, and give grace to those who may be a little bit ahead of it or behind it um, because 
these are matters that not super black and white. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I thought that was really helpful in that call for charity. And then a simple thing is like, and in areas of disagreement, like one, talk about it, be disruptive, but then pray for each other. Because mm. there's nothing more unifying than just prayer. It seems like when believers get together and just pray, even yeah. with differences, just pray. So, Man, that's really good. And especially that last part, because I think like as we pray for one another, even when we still disagree, like that act of of, unif- of unity mm-hmm. under the banner of Christ, like it almost comes full circle where it's like two brothers and sisters in Christ can sit across a table from a, from one another, both declare that Jesus is king and yet land differently on different issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that that is the important part. Like Jesus is king. That is our greatest political statement to kind of like bring it full circle here. Like let's make sure that the way that we think about politics is thinking Christianly as we align ourselves and pray to God that our consciences align with the word of God and that we do that in community, mm-hmm. right? Like that we that we study scripture and understand the scriptures and seek to apply them in all of these areas that, that the Bible doesn't speak directly to. And we go, how can we best represent what God's good design is as we see in the scriptures to the world around mm-hmm. us? as believers and how should that inform how we vote and then when we still disagree mm-hmm. on on many of those especially jagged line issues uh how do we respond to each other we respond to each other with charity love grace and prayer mm-hmm. understanding that like we will have an eternity mm-hmm. with people that on this earth we disagree about some things that are important but we'll have an eternity together both declaring that Jesus is king right and you know and i would add to that Jake, November 4th, Wednesday, November 4th, regardless of which side Mm. wins the presidency, neither of us are waking up that day going, oh, we won. Right. I wake up that day, regardless of who wins, going, we have a lot of work to do. Mm. Not because I'm trying to redeem America's conscience or soul or whatever. I'm trying to save as many people as possible. And regardless of who wins, doesn't make that job disappear, you know? Mm-hmm. And there should be an urgency, uh, an unwillingness to get distracted from what we are on this earth to do. Yeah, we are supposed to live as citizens of a world that's not here yeah. and be calling more and more people into this family and help them by faith in Jesus Christ transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun and then live as citizens of that world and continue to move that direction. And so the no- November 3rd is a big day, but it doesn't change how we will labor and strive. Mm. And again, it goes back to whoever's in the White, White House, I trust the sovereignty of God. I'll pray for that leader and pray for God to bless our nation through them, but also the church for us, our vision, uh, the commitment we have to our mission remains unchanged. And it'll be that way forever, I pray, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, Amen. And amen. So get out there and vote. Absolutely. It's important. Absolutely. But not ultimate. Mm-hmm. Jesus is king. Absolutely.